Hello, and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today I show I have Andrew Kirkland, president and co-founder of Just Wealth. Just Wealth is a Canadian-based robo-advisor that deals directly with consumers, but also collaborates with financial advisors. And with that, here's my interview with Andrew. Andrew, thanks for taking the time today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jason. Pleasure to be here. Oh, my pleasure. So, Andrew Kirkland of Just Wealth, tell us about Just Wealth. Yeah, so Just Wealth is an online portfolio manager, also known as a, as a robo advisor. And essentially, what we're doing is we're we're bringing uh, investment services to Canadian investors via a very efficient model by using technology. So at the end of the day, clients come to us and can invest their proceeds within their RSP, their tax-free savings account, any non-registered accounts in a fully diversified portfolio of low-cost ETFs. And they interact with a personal portfolio manager via phone, email, video call. Yeah, so we, we basically try to make it as efficient as possible for people to get access to sound, quality, diversified investment portfolios. So talk to me about the origin of Just Wealth. Yeah, so the origin of Just Wealth. So myself and uh, my co-founder, James Goche, we came together back in 2015. At that time, I was working at a at a large uh, Canadian investment manager, where my role in that in that company was to go out to financial advisors and speak to them about the mutual funds or the exchange traded funds that that company had manufactured, in hopes that they would recommend them to their their clients that they were dealing. Now, in that role, I was traveling around uh, all of Canada and speaking with financial advisors, and I found that there was there was some potential flaws or what I felt were flaws in the, the current state of how financial advisors dealt with Canadian investors. One, from an efficiency standpoint, I just felt that there was likely a better and, and more efficient way to get advice to people. It didn't necessarily have to be the face-to-face -face model back then. Obviously, with the pandemic, things shifted quite quickly for everyone. But at that time, you know, it was kind of face-to-face, in-person, and I just felt that there was a better way. And I also felt that there was a lot of costs that associated with the current model at that time that inflated the end cost to the investor. So change traded funds were were growing in popularity at that time, but before that, there was mutual funds that you know tended to be high cost avenues for the way people need to invest. So yeah, it was just uh, it was just the you know kind of the combination of you know making it more efficient for investors to get access to advice by using technology and also lowering the cost to make sure that more of their money was working for them. And we the origin of Just Wealth and why it's called Just Wealth. A lot of people don't know this, but Just Wealth in its name is people here. Just, they think of only, right? So uh -huh. it's just managed wealth. But in fact, the, the just of just wealth is, is for justice and you know, acting in the client's best interest of all time. We are regulated with the Ontario Securities Commission, which means we have a fiduciary standard to act in the best interest of the clients that we deal with. So yeah, it's just every 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 day we come in and we work with that justice in mind to bring what we believe justice and best interest to every single Canadian investor. Now that was my background and kind of came into how I came into it working with financial advisors. James kind of James came to it in the, and my co-founder came into a similar manner. He kind of had the same thoughts that I did, you know, bringing low cost, making it efficient and building sound investment portfolios, but his background is in the asset allocation space. So he actually manufactured some portfolio models for uh, large banks and other uh, high net worth portfolio managers in Canada. So it was a it was kind of a really good match, and 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 we've been off and running ever since then. 
Now, there was an entire kind of wave of robo-advisors, both in Canada, the U.S., and elsewhere around the world, kind of simultaneously. It's like everybody suddenly realized this was an idea. But also, I mean, part of the reason why that wave happened was the licensing actually came into existence to permit it to happen. So talk to me about when you guys first launched and how you saw yourselves as different or differentiated from the competition out there. Yeah, so that's a great question. And at that time, there was a third, and there still is quite a few robo-advisors around the world. In Canada specifically, there, there's, I think at, at that point, there are at the most, it got up to like 15. A lot of them now have been purchased by other asset managers or other portfolio managers, other distribution channels in the country. Uh, we're still independent. So we we, we kind of like that. We don't have any handcuffs to to do certain decisions based on a, on a parent forcing us to do it. But the way we differentiate ourselves relative to other robo-advisors, and we felt this was very key, myself and James, who I just kind of introduced you to both of us, we both came with financial services background. We understand technology, but the the the, the roots and the pillars of this company was on financial services and providing what we believe is the best financial offering and financial services offering to investors. So if you look at our, our model lineup of portfolios, we have a much more option, many more options than other robo-advisors. I think what a lot of case happened is, is it was people thought it was just a technology. Technology is obviously very important in this. And we have technology where you can onboard, sign all the application forms, interact using technology. Yes, that's very important. But at the end of the day, the product that clients get and investors in Canada get is a, an investment portfolio. So it was important for us to make sure that we're building a, a broad product lineup so that we can meet the objectives of somebody who's in accumulation phase. We can meet the objectives of somebody decumulating assets. We can meet the objective of somebody who has U.S. dollars versus uh, Canadian dollars or different account types, registered account types versus non-registered account types. So from our perspective, it was, and the big differentiating factor, I think what has uh, led to our success has been that broader offering to meet the objective of, any, from, of more Canadian investors. Okay. So you mentioned a number of use cases, right? Talk to me about all the different kind of use cases or specific different, you know, I'm not asking for the allocation differences, right? We know that, you know, most advisors and most robo advisors will basically provide, you know, everything from your hundred percent equity to hundred percent fixed income and all points in between. So besides that, talk to me about the specific different choices that you provided people. Right. Okay. So it's really broken down into two avenues, I would say. One avenue being your overall objective, in the sense of are, is your overall objective for a growth accumulation phase of your life, or is it more an income or decumulation phase, right? So that's one avenue. So we have different portfolio models, one being our growth family. We have an income family, which is really the avenue to two different objectives. Typically, somebody in a growth model would be you know someone in their working and they're accumulating assets and they're growing their overall nest egg. In a decumulation phase, somebody looking at an income, they could have a, a RIF or they could be using uh, income from their investments to supplement other income sources, whether it's pension, retirement benefits, or government benefits. So it's, it's based on that. We have different families, so growth and income. We also have a family that targets or utilized often within RESP, so education savings plans. This is the one type of account where you kind of know the end date, right? So if a beneficiary is born, you know, they're going to be born. And then 18 years from that point on is you can safely assume if they're going to be going to post-secondary education, it would be 18 years from their, their date of birth, or they'll start to withdraw some of the money. So we have a target date lineup of portfolios that literally gets more conservative each year. And then when they're in that final target date year, it would be the most conservative. 
So something that's pretty unique in the market. Uh, it's target date portfolios are sometimes done for retirement. I think some some providers have it for education savings plans, more in a bucket. So they have like five-year increments. We have it literally down to the year that someone who goes to post-secondary education. The other aspect is every one of our portfolios has, depending on the account type, so you could be in the accumulation phase and you could be one of our growth portfolios. However, that growth portfolio could be in a registered account or a tax-free savings account where taxes don't really matter from the senses of, of, of investing. Obviously, withdrawing it potentially matters. But when it comes to the investment standpoint, they're all tax deferred. But you could be in accumulation phase in one of our growth portfolios and invested in a non-registered account. So we have different portfolios for different account types. So there's many different options, many different objectives. The objective comes into play, the account type comes into play, and even currency comes into play, right? So like I mentioned, we have US dollar portfolios and where we buy exchange-traded funds that trade on the New York Stock Exchange. So you know, it sounds like a lot and it could be overwhelming. If you went to our, our website on the performance page, we list the performance of all of our portfolios and all the different families. Now, it may seem overwhelming. However, we're using technology to make that efficient because every single investor completes an investment questionnaire that would say, okay, what is the account type you're looking to open? What is your overall objective? What is your time horizon? Those type of things. And it drills it down to the exact portfolio, which we- Yeah, so let's let's, let's talk about that process because that was gonna be my first question was, okay, you've got all this optionality and, and typically a lot of robo-advisors have honed in on fewer options, right? Like I've seen them with no, you know, Several robo-advisors will offer no more than six portfolios. That's the end of it. So uh, very easy to slot people in based on risk tolerance. Talk to me about what the workflow looks like for the person signing up with you and how all these permutations are accounted for. Yeah. So as with any robo-advisor, you're going to be answering an investment questionnaire when you, whether you come to us. But I think what happens within our algorithm and the responses that are, are, are occurring to that investment questionnaire, there's more drilling down on each of the questions. So account type non-registered versus RSP. Someone goes to a non-registered account, they're going to be going through to get a recommendation with one of our tax-efficient portfolios. What is your overall objective? Are you in a growth? Are you kind of long-term wealth accumulation? Or are you looking to provide some primary or supplementary income? So again, long-term wealth would get a growth recommendation. Preserve a primary or supplementary income would get one of our income portfolios recommendation. And then also our portfolio uh, investment questionnaire provides questions as to us helping us figure out which risk level that you're associated to. And for us, risk is really determined by your ability to take on risk and coupling that with your willingness to take on risk. Ability is, is really the time that you have until you need to withdraw a significant portion of your investments. The longer time you have, the more mm -hmm. ability you have to take on risk. However, just because you have a high ability to take on risk doesn't mean that you actually want to take on risk. So we have That's other tolerance. questions. It's a risk Absolutely. tolerance, right? Yeah, exactly. Be so I can go on for hours about the, how you define like different permutations of value and the factors of risk, but continue. Yeah, all right. So you're taking those yeah, into so consideration. All of those consider in the situation. So we've got the account types, the overall investment objective, and then it's the risk. And those three factors within the investment questionnaire will recommend a portfolio based on based on those on those factors. So it's a process that every single question is very valuable in our investment questionnaire, and it ultimately leads to what we believe is a more personalized portfolio to meeting your objectives. Okay, so once this is done, the honest truth is that someone could end up with like four or five different portfolios depending upon you know the number of permutations we're dealing with. Really? Okay, so talk to me about the support experience beyond just the investment. 
management piece, right? So if someone gets that done, what kind of support is the consumer looking at when they basically start working with you? Yeah. So when they start working with us, obviously they've gone through the investment questionnaire. Every portfolio or every investor's uh, profile will be reviewed by a personal portfolio manager at Just Wealth. So we have licensed uh, advising representatives at Just Wealth. Uh, that work directly with uh, with the investor. So that that personal portfolio manager is responsible for one making sure that objective is 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 matches what is what they want, and also making sure that that portfolio is always aligned to that particular portfolio from that point on. So it's always being monitored by a personal portfolio manager. In addition to that, we also offer financial planning. We use a financial planning software that allows individuals, if, if they wish, to uh, you know look at, okay, this is what I'm saving right now. This is what I expect as far as income that would be needed in retirement, or I perceive that would be what I need in retirement. Am I on track? I would say it's mainly focused when it comes to financial planning. Financial planning is a very broad subject and a lot of avenues could be go down. Financial planning sticks to retirement income and are you saving enough and using the income sources from government benefits, pension, all those things. Will that fill that retirement income bucket? And it's really, in a lot of cases, our, our, our customers, we have a wide range of customers. Some customers are early 20s or even late, late well, late teens, if you will. Um, all the way up into uh, up to the 90s, but the average customer age that we're dealing with is kind of like the mid to late 40s. So, and that's at that phase, people what they're kind of looking for is like, am I am, am I on the right track? Uh, obviously, the financial plan can change and will change between this today and 10, 15 years down the road. But people just want to get an understanding if they're on the right track, and that's what our our service can provide from a financial planning perspective. But you said yeah. something interesting there, and it's not one I'm surprised by, but other people might be. It's the mid to late 40s, right? I think when a lot of robo-advisors came about, people thought that this was solely a millennial, uh, can, for lack of a term, millennial candy creation, right? That this was something that was going to appeal to the young people solely. That, if we're talking mid to late 40s, we're not talking people who are millennials. We're talking about uh, people who are <laughs> who are Gen X, right? So is that was that surprising to you? Was, was or was there anything else that regarding the makeup of your consumers that or your customers that basically surprised you from that you wouldn't have expected when you started it out? So it didn't surprise me necessarily. It's what we wanted to have happen, right? When we, I wasn't sure if as an older demographic. I wouldn't say anyone in their mid to late forties is old by any means, but it was older than what the perception was, as you mentioned, with millennials going to other robo advisors. But that's what we wanted to do. We felt that our investment offering of having more options attracted somebody who may have more objectives that need to be met. So that was one thing. And the other thing about like we haven't really talked about this, and which, which is totally fine, but the cost savings that can go forward can 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 occur when a robo advisor comparing to you know dealing with somebody in a traditional financial representative uh, setup where you know maybe you're dealing with somebody at, at, at a bank uh, and the mutual funds there could be over two percent. But the people who, from a cost perspective, that have the most to gain are are not necessarily the millennials. Millennials will get that savings over time, which is phenomenal. But if you're looking at it like today, if you had a hundred thousand dollars invested today and you're paying two percent and you could lower the cost to a half of one percent, they're the people that have the most the most to, to gain from moving to a robo advisor. So I think the demographic that was more mature, mid to late forties, I liked our approach when it came to a meeting of objectives and. I 
I think everyone kind of likes the fact that you can lower your costs and keep more of your money working for you. So it just gave those the, the older demographic an avenue to do it with us. So, okay, let's also talk about what segment of the market you're appealing to in particular, regarding age. I mean, you're using the, you said the bank a lot, right? And let's, let's, let's be frank, in Canada, the banks are infamous for minimum viable product for the maximum possible price. These are people who are typically not getting much advice or quality advice, just sincerely not enough to justify the... 2% that they're paying versus what they could be paying a robo or doing it yourself. So is that where you're finding the majority of your client base, or at least the ones that aren't being referred to you by third-party sources, which we'll get to in a second, is that where the majority of your clients are coming from? Are they like bank refugees or are they, you know, refugees of just a bad advisory relationship where maybe they did have a traditional advisor who provided next to no service? Like, is that where you're finding them? Yeah, I would say, well, we kind of looked from a sheer volume that the, to answer your question, where we're getting most of our clients is from from banks, right? Because mm-hmm. one, because there's sheer size, they, they have such a large market share that it's just, you know, when there's a large market share, they can just, you know, they, they tend to you know, come from that base. But yeah, I think, I think people are beginning to realize that costs associated with the bank is just too high for the service that they're getting, like you mentioned. When it comes to, as a, a financial advisor who's not servicing their clients, we, we do see that as well. And, and that should happen. Like you, clients should be waking up to the fact that if I'm paying this much money, I have to be getting value for that service. So those are potentially good things because people are becoming aware of what they're paying and, and they're making changes. However, this isn't necessarily financial advisors. There's phenomenal financial advisors available in Canada that are providing good service and and warrant that that higher fee. But it's just a matter of I think from an invest, if it's just the investments that the avenue that that financial advisor is providing, and that's the service, it's just going to be, and they're not providing other financial planning and state planning, insurance planning, all those other things, cash flow budgeting, all that stuff that a financial advisor should be doing. If they're not doing that, it's just the investments that financial advisor is potentially exposed to losing a client because you can get, and I would argue, potentially a better solution and a more diversified solution and using low cost avenues to get it. And the management fee can be all in less for the client too. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, again, it's, uh, and I think too often, I mean, more, it's funny, one robo-advisor shall not remain named and has failed in an acquisition recently in the US specifically went off, uh, you know, about trying to destroy the financial advisor model and blah, 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 only to find that, look, yeah, if you think all we're doing is picking investments, that's, you're right, you're going to do a better job because you're doing it more affordably and pretty much the right way. But if you're providing actual real service and tangible value, that's a different story altogether. So speaking of financial advisors, going back to that, I understand you have a lot of them who refer business to you. So talk to me about how you engage third parties to basically as conduits to base to to bring in business. Yeah. So if we look at Just Wealth, we kind of have three distribution channels, one being what we call direct to consumer. So the general public finds us okay. and they come direct at us. We have financial planning channel. So we're working with financial planners and they're referring or outsourcing the investments decisions to us. They will be providing service on the financial planning, the insurance, all those other auxiliary services. But when it comes to the actual management of the investment portfolio and the actual selection of ETFs, we do that for them. And then the third channel is we all we often work with the groups. So uh, there could be a, an employer uh, wants to set up a group uh, RSP plan for their employee base. So we have that channel as well. But specifically, when it comes to the financial planners, this, this is uh, actually one of our fastest, this is the, the fastest growing channel that we have. And I think it goes, and there's, well, there's good reason for this, because from the investment management perspective, the cost can come down and it frees up time for that financial advisor not to necessarily deal with the management of the portfolios, which can be very systematic and kind of what we've built here. And it frees up time, then their time to spend more with the investor and the and their client 
on the financial planning, the withdrawal strategy, the decumulation strategy, the tax strategy, the estate planning insurance. All of those are very personalized to the individual investor. And all of those are, are very valuable and take up a lot of time. But when you're dealing with all of it and the, and, the, and the investment side of it, the investment side of it can be very time consuming for a financial advisor. So offloading that to somebody like us, an investment portfolio manager that's partnering with them, at the end of the day, the end experience that the client has is, is a phenomenal client experience because you can get the financial planner and you can get us kind of on the same page. And then the clients is just getting serviced phenomenal from all fronts. Well, and it makes sense. The the most burdensome part of this business has always been the administrative side of it all. And the one thing robo-advisors have done, hands down, and no one can can say otherwise, is that they've shown us that it doesn't have to be a major pain in the butt. It can actually be streamlined and digitized and look pretty. The funny thing is, despite the fact that you showed us going back seven, eight years now in some of these companies, most of the industry hasn't followed suit. So my administrative life is still a pain in the butt when it comes to account opening and onboarding and all this other stuff. So you definitely have a better widget for how you get this stuff started and and maintained. So that's <laughs> commendable. So before we wrap up, there's three questions I ask everybody to end on a positive note and get you thinking. The first one is, is that if you had one wish for something you can change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? Well, if I if I had one wish... It would be that I would be able to tell more service, more people about our services at market as much as I can. But we know that marketing costs millions and millions of dollars. So that would be one wish. But it's an interesting question. Some people answer this question like, well, if I had one wish, I'd like I'd like infinite number of wishes. But to be, to that's be not, by the way, that's that's actually in the, in the terms of service for this podcast. You can't do that. But continue. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. No, I would say that like that's what comes to my mind right off the bat. Right, an unlimited amount of funds to explain our services uh, to all the masses. However, sometimes having unlimited amount of funds can can lead to uh, decision making that is suspect. So it could be a, a curse as well. But as your head on there, that was my first thought that came into my mind. There. Yeah, scarcity breeds innovation. Uh, abundance often kills it. You know, this <laughs> any any VC backed company who's taking too much money on knows that that can be a problem. Right. So sure. okay. Fair enough. So second question I have for you is what's been the biggest challenge in the company to where it is today? So this is a very interesting question also. So, so what happens, at least when, when we launched Just Well, we launched the company in January 2016. And, and you turn on the website and you're like, okay, everyone, come on in. And, and you've been thinking about this for years, or I had been thinking about this this you know, this company for years. So you're like, where is everyone on that first day when all the when everything is set up and ready to go? And you have your friends and family coming in. But I think one of the the I think a, a challenge is to teach yourself to be patient for the public and the users to understand your service. But it's also, it's also, I think, a blessing is, and then one thing I've learned, and I think anything, anytime you have a challenge in life or in business, you have to learn from that challenge. But the challenge is, is instilling a patience mindset. But I think because I have that patient mindset, or I, or I believe I have, it's helped me and grow this business. So I think the number one challenge just is just building building that patience as you know the early days of any company for this matter. It doesn't have to be, it could be the biggest and best companies in the world. The early days, there was you you required patience, which was was challenging in that time. It's funny. Uh the it's a valuable lesson there. The for someone who's in a essentially a technology company to some degree to talk about the need for patience, it's it's so true because this stuff takes longer every I mean it takes longer than you would expect always every time. Yeah, for sure. 100 yeah. percent And the last question is what excites you about what it is you're working on and keeps you getting out of the bed in the morning to keep on fighting the good fight that is starting your own and running your own business. Yeah. So I look back on the last seven years and I wouldn't there's 
I think about would I go back to work for a large employer? And the answer to that question is no. And the reason for that is because deep down, I have a passion for this. I have a passion for for just portfolio management and investing. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I just want to help people. And this is what I can provide to people to help them meet their overall objectives and meet their financial plans for their life. And if, if I can have that positive impact on somebody, that's what gets me up, right? And if I'm doing it and keeping their best interests at heart and doing what I believe is, is going to help them get those financial goals, that's ultimately at the end of the day, what I'm looking to do and why I get up every single day. And uh, yeah, that's really, that's really it. Good answer. Andrew, thank you so much for your time. Very much appreciate it. All right, Jason, my pleasure. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. That was my interview with Andrew Kirkland of Just Wealth. Hope you enjoyed that. And as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever your podcast. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.